welcome back to the Cory Doctorow podcast. It's been a while. I've been on tour. In fact, I just got back from Berlin a couple of days ago. Boy, are my jet lags tired. Yeah, my brain is kind of mush. I'm supposed to be writing a column today and uh, fresh out of ideas. It's the problem of having run with everything turned up to 11 for weeks and weeks and weeks while on the road and then coming back and everything kind of just lets go and uh, gets very mellow. Anyway, I'm back. I'm in front of the mic, having a good time. It was exciting to come back. My wife and daughter were not waiting for me. They're on vacation. But what was waiting for me was the new motherboard for my framework laptop. If you've been following me, you know that my most exciting technology purchase of the last several years has been the user serviceable framework laptop. This is a laptop that you yourself can take apart and upgrade. It runs Windows or Linux. I'm running Ubuntu on it. So on my uh, turnaround day, just before I left for Europe, I came home and there was a new screen waiting for me. They finally released a matte screen. I don't like gloss screens. So I replaced the screen. That took about five minutes. And then when I came back, there's a motherboard upgrade. The new, I think it's uh, 12th generation Intel processors. Anyway, faster. And that was waiting for me. So the motherboard swap's a little more involved, but it only took 20 minutes. And I did it while jet lagged at home on the kitchen table after getting back from LAX and starting a load of laundry. I just uh, sat down with the screwdriver and spent about 15, 20 minutes replacing the motherboard. Almost all of that time was taken up with just one step, which is fitting the extremely fiddly little Wi-Fi connectors onto the Wi-Fi card. There's a kind of standard connector that is notoriously difficult to connect. So, you know, here I am with my laptop of Thebes. Everything has been replaced at one time or another. I, I dropped it, so I had to replace the input panel, and I've upgraded the motherboard, and at one point I had a hard drive failure, so I've replaced that. I put new hinges in, and there's new hinges still coming that are a little stiffer. I like, I like a stiff hinge. I'm going to replace those hinges when they arrive. There's a new battery coming, so there's a 55-kilowatt battery in there, and there's a 65 kilowatt battery coming. I think maybe it's 50 and 65. I don't remember. Anyway, there's a new longer lived battery coming. So I'm going to swap that out. There's a new screen, obviously. This is the second screen. I shattered the screen at one point, dropping the laptop. Everything is new and replaced one part at a time instead of buying a whole new laptop every time. And what's really cool is Framework, now that they've gone through a couple of cycles of hardware, is figuring out what to do with the old stuff. So arriving tomorrow is an enclosure for the old motherboard that lets you turn it into a bookshelf PC or a desktop PC. But I'm going to use it as a little headless server. I'm going to run a program called Plex on it that'll let me serve my own MP3s to the Sonos speakers we have in the house. We have the Sonos kind of speaker that doesn't have a microphone built in, which is the only kind I would advise you to get. And even so, it's pretty inshittified and refuses to play local music unless you set up a kind of elaborate streaming server. So that's what I'm going to set up. I'm also going to set up Pi-hole on it, so it's going to be a network-wide ad blocker that'll run with a high degree of performance. Just have a server just kicking around the house that's uh, pretty high-powered and ready to go. It's, it's really cool. My goodness, it's really cool. And there's a battery enclosure coming as well that's going to let you turn the old battery into a power bank for your laptop. Also super cool. Anyway, that's like uh, not a funded uh, plug or anything. That's just me being uh, legitimately excited about my laptop. It's kind of the first hardware I've been really excited about in a long time. Tim Bray, who's a technology pioneer, one of the people who invented XML and who... Uh, 
for a long time was part of the Android group at Google and has just retired pretty recently from being a pretty senior engineer at Amazon Web Services. He just posted a blog post saying that he'd upgraded his Pixel phone from the generation four to the generation seven. And so been like five year jump in one go, three generations. And that it was like, eh, faster. Okay, whatever. No big deal. Uh, And he said he remembered when the mobile space was like really exciting and there was really cool new hardware all the time and how now it's just uh, grinding out tiny incremental improvements. I feel that way about laptops too, but not this one because there is something very exciting about not having to replace the whole machine just to, to squeeze a little more performance out of it, get a little more out of it. It's cool. Uh, so what's coming up? Well, um, I don't have any scheduled appearances to tell you about. I mean, there are a lot of appearances scheduled, but nothing with links that are live or whatever. But I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming up in my life. I will be at San Diego Comic-Con for a couple of panels at the end of July. I'm going to be at DEF CON to do a speech. And I'm going to be at Burning Man. And I'm going to be doing a talk at Center Camp. And also in my own camp, I will be running a little lecture series as usual. So those are three things you can catch me at this summer, all in the West. And also, I'm going to be in Toronto for a couple of days next week, but not for something public, at least not unless you're the close relative of someone who's graduating from York University. That university's Faculty of Liberal Arts and Professional Studies is giving me an honorary Doctor of Laws. It's going to be my second honorary PhD. My first one came from the Open University. It's a computer science doctorate. So I'm going to be Herr Doctor, Doctor, Professor Doctorow. Very excited about this. Very, very honored. And I wrote a banger of a speech, which I'll be posting pretty soon. It's my next Locus column. And um, I think it gets at something important that I've been trying to crystallize for a long time. So that's what's coming up, and I've got a short podcast for you this week. I'm going to read to you one of the columns I wrote while I was on the road. Keeping up with those columns is difficult, but uh, worth doing. And also, I guess, obligatory, because the columns for me, uh, they pay my mortgage. And um, this one, I think, came out really well. Another shorty, but a goodie. So here we are, without further ado, from doctoro.medium.com, Ideas Lying Around, Milton Friedman was a monster, but he wasn't wrong about this. Only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend on the ideas that are lying around. That, I believe, is our basic function— to develop alternatives to existing policies, to keep them alive and available until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. Milton Friedman, 1972. Milton Friedman was a crank. The Archduke of Neoliberalism, chief conspirator to the Chicago School of Economics, cheerleader and enabler of genocidal maniacs like Augusto Pinochet, Friedman had one project— to roll back the widespread post-war prosperity produced by wildly popular programs like the New Deal and the Great Society. At the moment when excluded groups, 
racialized people, queer people, women, colonized people, were demanding the benefits of these programs? Friedman and his clutch of Ayn Rand-pilled economists wanted to throw the whole program in reverse, to go back to gilded age inequality in a system of hereditary servitude, where people born to the working class had short lives of hard work, as did their children and their children's children. This was an implausible project. The ruling class had long cherished their delusion that the forelock tuggers they relied on actually enjoyed their servitude. This is a recurring folly, one that usually ends up with goggle-eyed startlement when the plebs start building guillotines on the lawns of one's estate. The post-war years, what the French call les trente glorieuses, or the thirty glorious years, made it abundantly clear that no one wanted to go back to bending the knee to their social betters. Reinstating hereditary poverty was not a popular idea. Not popular, that is, among normies. But for America's richest plutocrats and the temporarily embarrassed millionaires who fantasized about joining their ranks, Friedman's project was a beautiful dream. Friedman and his acolytes were showered in cash, which allowed them to pursue this dream in the teeth of popular sentiment. Friedman's paymasters had their limits, though. To keep the money flowing, they demanded a theory of change that explained how the gains of working people could be stripped away. Same goes for Friedman's most promising acolytes, whose belief in their cult leader's vision required some reassurance that it wasn't all a pipe dream. Friedman had a tried and true answer to these skeptical queries. Someday, there will come a crisis. When the crisis comes, people will look for answers. The answers they choose will be those ideas lying around that have been promoted by the status quo's loudest critics. In that moment, ideas can move from the fringe to the center. Friedman was right. In 1973, the OPEC nations turned off the world's oil supply. Deprived of energy, the world's economies were plunged into deep recession. While the cause of this shock was obvious, the oil-rich nations didn't keep it a secret or anything, what should be done about it wasn't nearly so clear. Enter Friedman. To people reeling in crisis, Friedman insisted that the missing oil was somehow the product of unionization, pollution controls, women's lib, and the civil rights movement. Though this was transparent nonsense, akin to blaming witches for a crop failure, the crisis was so dislocating and Friedman's ideas had been lying around for so long that they moved swiftly to the center. Jimmy Carter adopted a handful of Friedman's measures, neutering antitrust law and kicking the supports out from under guaranteed pensions in favor of market-based 401k pensions that forced workers to gamble against sophisticated stockbrokers for the chance of a dignified old age. Next, Ronald Reagan swept into office, taking a flamethrower to those popular, effective New Deal and Great Society programs. Forty years later, we are living in Friedman's world, barreling toward human extinction with levels of inequality that would make the Sun King blush. Satan took Milton Friedman to hell in 2006, but his ideas live on today. We need new ideas lying around because sure as shit there will be crises. As Stein's Law has it, anything that can't go on forever will eventually stop. Last year, Rebecca Giblin and I published Choke Point Capitalism, a book about the ways that entertainment and tech monopolies are squeezing creative workers. 
The first half of the book is a series of dissections of the eye-watering scams that these giant companies use to rip off musicians, reporters, writers, filmmakers, and other creators. We often hear from readers that after getting through those opening chapters, they experience an alarming, high-pitched keening that sounds like the precursor to a rage-induced aneurysm. We always exhort those readers to stick with it, because in the second half of the book, we turn to solutions. Not individual solutions like just buy your music from Bandcamp. Systemic solutions like forming unions, changing state contract law, creating federal protections for interoperators, using job guarantees to pay for artistic creation, and breaking up the entertainment giants. These proposals are developed in shovel-ready detail, designed to be ideas lying around. Because the arts are such an iniquitous, invidious, corrupt market that crises will surely erupt, and some are upon us already. When those crises arise, these well-developed ideas lying around can move from the fringe to the center. Likewise, with my new series of detailed proposals for the Electronic Frontier Foundation to end big tech's predation upon the news. The ongoing mass extinction event for journalism is a crisis, and any moments of stability are merely lulls between calamities. These proposals are intended to be ideas lying around for the coming widening gyre of crises. My next novel, The Lost Cause, is a tale of a semi-utopian society that has confronted the polycrisis that has spun out of the climate emergency. It's not just a cracking yarn, it's also a fly-through of a society where the emergency is confronted and the forces that gave rise to it are halted and thrown into reverse. Developing these detailed proposals for a different world isn't just building sandcastles in the sky. Rather, it's the Friedman method, used to such devastating effect 40 years ago. While Friedman is my arch-nemesis, I love explaining how we can use his method to undo his evil. I like to imagine that every time I do, Friedman looks up from the spit he's roasting on and gargles a curse around the red-hot bar protruding from his jaws to the great amusement of the demons turning the handle. All right, then. I will talk to you... No, not next week. I'll be in Toronto. I'll talk to you again eventually. See you soon. You've been listening to the Cory Doctor Podcast, licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike US 3.0. Or as Woody Guthrie put it in another context, this song is copyrighted in the US under seal of copyright 154085 for a period of 28 years, and anyone caught singing it without our permission will be a mighty good friend of ours, because we don't give a dern. Publish it, write it, sing it, swing to it, yodel it, we wrote it, that's all we wanted to do. Many thanks to John Taylor Williams for mastering. That's Rynex Studio, W-R-Y-N-E-C-K Studio at gmail.com. John Taylor Williams is a full-time self-employed audio engineer, producer, composer, and sound designer. In his free time, he makes beer, jewelry, odd musical instruments, and furniture. He likes to meditate, to read, and to cook. Talk to you next week.